Turn in your copies again of God's Word to Haggai, chapter 2. That's on page 791 there in the chair Bible. Haggai, chapter 2. The title of tonight's message is, Be Strong and Work. This phrase, this imperative, this command, be strong, is repeated 33 times in the scriptures. And whenever we see something like this that's repeated, it's an indication that God wants us to pay attention. This is important. It would be like us putting, if I'm texting my wife, and I'm texting her in all caps. (laughs) We might call that, that's yelling, stop yelling. But we want to look tonight at This command of God, be strong. What does that mean? So let's read together tonight, Haggai chapter 2, and we'll read the first nine verses. Please give attention as I read God's holy word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains In your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and all the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, indeed, we ask now for your illumination by your Spirit. Father, your servant is needy. He is dependent upon you alone. And I pray, Father, that you would hide me behind the cross tonight. We pray that Christ himself and him alone would be honored, would be exalted, and that your people would be encouraged. We need your help by your Spirit tonight. We are your people. Speak to us, for we are listening. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The word of the Lord comes by the hand of the prophet. This is less than a month since the first message. This is fresh in our minds since we looked at that this morning. And again, we have very specific detail. And the date here is important. This is in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. This would have been October 21st, 520 B.C. Well, we ask ourselves, why is that important? Why is this significant? Well, October 15th through the 21st, this entire week, was the Feast of Tabernacles. We might know it, or you might know it, as the Feast of Booths. And so God commanded his people to make these makeshift tents and to dwell in them for one full week. And it symbolized two things, agricultural and memorial. So this would have been at the end of the harvest season. And they would have been rejoicing at God's provision for them. But then also as a memorial, this was to remind them that their forefathers had lived coming out of the land of Egypt in the wilderness, and they were living in tents. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because this is what's significant, is that Solomon's temple, the original temple, was constructed on this very day. I should say it's dedication. The temple took seven years, but on this very day, 400 years prior, Solomon was dedicating this temple. God's precision, his timing, is so wonderful. And this would not have escaped the Israelites as they sit in their their tents. They're not in their paneled houses, right, for this week. And they're thinking about the temple, which lies before them in ruins. And this is what God would have brought to their mind. And this is where, now, in our story, in the narrative, we hear the message. It begins with a question. Verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? The Lord is asking these probing questions. He's putting his finger on something. This is the million-dollar question because it continues in verse 3. How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? This is exactly what the people would have been thinking and experiencing. God's call, his command to rebuild the temple. And yet this is a monumental task. It's impossible. They would have had those in their midst, this aging population that would have remembered the temple. They would have told the younger people of what this massive in a beautiful infrastructure look like in all of its glory. And here they're thinking, as they're sitting in these booths, the temple lies in ruins. And the Lord brings hope and encouragement by his prophet. And I want to consider this message tonight in two parts. Be strong in the Lord because of his presence. And be strong in the Lord Because of his promise. Let's look at number one. Be strong in the Lord 
because of his presence. Verse 4, we have this adverb, yet, now, be strong. The prophet is telling the people, in spite of this insurmountable task, this monumental task, be strong. And notice this adverb, now. And the problem we have so often is that we want to live either in the past or in the future. And yet the prophet is calling the people's attention, live now, be strong now. I struggle with this myself. And wanting to lament over the past or somehow I'm focused on what's going to be taking place in the future to the detriment of what God is calling me to do now. What is God calling you to do? What looks insurmountable? What looks impossible in your life? Be strong now. I love this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that's why we call it the present. Be present now. Be strong. The Lord addresses each group. In fact, the 33 occurrences in the scripture, we have 10% of them here. And he addresses each of the groups in his commands to be strong. This is a shared responsibility among the people. David Manuel and Peter Marshall, in their book, The Light and the Glory, write about the pilgrims who came to the New World, and they almost starved that first winter because they were taking a communal approach to their food supply. They were, there was a shared responsibility of the, of the, among the people, but it wasn't until, and this is what they write, it wasn't until they gave individuals and families responsibility for their own food, did they have success. And God, in his perfect wisdom, is delegating to each individual, to each family. We know of this from Nehemiah chapter 3. There were individuals that were assigned sections, individual sections of the wall. And that's what God is doing here. Be strong. And notice in verse 4, work. This is so difficult for us. God is calling me to do something, and so he's asked me to do it. And being a good American in the Western culture, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we're going to get this done. And so often I find even in my own life, I am working on the problem. I am solving this issue and it doesn't dawn on me, I need to be taking this to the Lord. And I'm humbled by that. I'm already wrapping my mind around this, right? And we rationalize, well, God, you've called me to work. Yes, he has. But it's both and. Listen to this from Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, excuse me, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
How is it that God is calling us to work, and yet we are to trust? That's, that's where we live. That's the tension. And this is a challenge for all of us. He tells his people, fear not. Don't worry. Trust me. And that's exactly what this phrase means. Be strong means to trust, to hope in God, to lay hold of his promises by faith. How is this possible? How can we be strong and work? Well, he tells us in 4b, for I am with you, declares the Lord. We saw in verse 1, or excuse me, in chapter 1 this morning, verses 13 and 14, the Lord sends his spirit to accomplish this work among his people. This is impossible. This is supernatural. And you may be facing something tonight in your life, and you're thinking to yourself, there is no way. God is calling me to trust him by faith, to be strong. And the difficulty is I and you would prefer to just lie down, and we're just going to wait until the Lord does it, and then he calls us, no, That's not how it works. We're to be strong. We're to trust him and work. His spirit remains in their midst. Verse 5. He had never left them. He had always been with them. Be strong and work because of his presence. Verse 4. For I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. And verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. One, be strong and work because of his presence. And now let's look at number two. Be strong and work because of his promise. Notice how the people are described here in verse 3. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. What would that have meant to them? Well, this is a reference to the promise of God to Abraham. I will give your offspring this land. The people of the land, this would have brought to their mind the Abrahamic covenant of God's faithful covenant promises to his people. And notice it's made explicit in verse 5. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. So we have both the Abrahamic covenant, the one administration of the covenant of grace, and the Mosaic covenant. God's presence was central to his relationship with his people, as we talked about this morning. He promised to be in their midst. I will not abhor you. He's reminding them of his faithfulness to them. I'm calling you to do this impossible thing, but let let me remind you, I am the covenant-keeping God of Abraham. I'm swearing by myself because there's no higher or greater name by which God would promise. You can trust me. Be strong and work. Because he is faithful. Notice here also, 
We have a reminder of God's promise in the past. And now, Haggai, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of a future promise. Notice verses 6 through 9. Yet once more, the Lord will shake the heavens and the earth. He will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. He promises that he would fill this house, the one that they're rebuilding, with his glory, and that this glory would be greater than the glory of that former temple. How is this possible? There would have been some in their midst taking this literally. How could this temple that we will rebuild, how can that, could that be greater than Solomon's temple? Well, we know that from history, he's not referring to the second temple. The second temple was dwarfed in terms of its size and its glory than the first. John Calvin writes of this distinction as being between law and gospel. You remember when God gave his law to the people on Mount Sinai, he descended upon the mountain. The mountain was smoking, there was fire, and the earth quaked. And yet here he promises not only to shake the earth, but the heavens and the sea and the dry land. All of the earth, the universe, he promises here. This event will shake all of creation. Well, the glorious promise to Abraham and his promise that his offspring will inherit this land. Paul, again, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, interprets this. And the Hebrew word can be both singular and plural for offspring. And Paul writes that this is singular, offspring, seed, singular, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. What has shaken the universe? It was the seminal moment in redemptive history when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth. The incarnation is the most significant event in world history. Listen to these words from the Gospel of John, verses 14 and 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, that is, tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the new covenant in which Jesus ratified with his own blood. Drink of this cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The fulfillment of the promise of God. God with us, Emmanuel. 
And His presence and His promise are connected. And notice, what is the result of this promise? It's in verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord declares the Lord of hosts. This is the glorious gospel that you and I, who were alienated from God, we were separated from him by our sin. He has now brought us near, Romans 5.1. He has reconciled us to himself. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, listen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because of this promised peace, you and I have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not, be strong, and work. Why? Because I am with you. And the promise Messiah, that seed, singular, who has come, he is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Be strong and work. Let's pray. Father, we need this encouragement for, from you. We are bandied about on every side. You have given us things to do that seem impossible. And yet we trust you and your word because you are faithful. You have spoken and you have fulfilled your promise to your people, even the church under age. That promise which you gave to them has been realized and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you praise and glory tonight for the peace that you have brought upon the earth. Peace, goodwill toward men because of the Prince of Peace who has reconciled us to you, O God. Thank you for this wonderful promise and we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.